Well, good morning and uh, welcome back to our study in the book of Luke. We're in chapter 20. It's been a week or two since we've been engaged in this. But uh, as we've been going through uh, the book of Luke, we're in the kind of the final stages of the the finishing work of Christ as he comes to Jerusalem for the the last time and 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 uh previously it came into the temple and threw out the money changers and they said by whose authority do you do this and and uh, <clears throat> we had that dialogue there that we we looked into and at at the end of that chapter they uh in uh Verse uh, 47 of Luke chapter 19, after he'd cleansed the temple and said that that uh, this is a, my father's house of prayer for all nations. And in verse 47, and he taught daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. So that was their aim uh, right along. And, and, and so in our last lesson... In Luke chapter 20, verse 1 through 8, he was came to pass on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and and uh, asked him what by what authority he did those things and 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 uh, they they couldn't uh, deal with his uh, reply and and so now we're in uh, verse uh, nine. And and then he began to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, and entreated him shamefully, and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. And then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. And so they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whomsoever uh, it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Boy, what a what an interesting parable here. It just kind of uh, covers the redemption story from the beginning of time. And, and when I when I read this, I just thought, boy, what a parable of grace. The Lord would have just been justified if he would have, after all these things that are, as Hawker always says, well, this parable is so plain that needs no explanation or no additional words by me. But uh, 
he brings this parable and it encompasses the whole scope of the redemption of the church and it it's addressed to people but it was uh, most certainly heard by these same Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests that we just read about in Luke chapter 19 verse 47 who were uh, they sought to destroy him and then when he when he brings us out in this parable they say oh god forbid we would never do that and we'll look at that here in in, in just a bit but uh, uh, in uh, Luke chapter uh, uh, 20 in our next lesson that we get to in verse uh, 19 after we just read this parable and the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him <laughs> the same hour that he just gave this parable and they said God forbid we would never do that they sought to lay hands on him and they feared but they feared the people for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them <laughs> he's saying derogatory things about us and and so anyway we'll we'll engage in that a little bit next our next lesson that we we have but uh, again we have this uh, parable there's only really one more parable in Luke after this one in the parable of the fig tree in chapter 21 but we always remember this rule of the parables that to you it is given to understand and to them it is not given and and clearly they didn't really understand they they just understood that he was saying something derogatory about them that they didn't like and uh, that he was calling attention to their um, malicious intent and <clears throat> but uh, for the people that the believers unto you it is given to understand that from back from Luke chapter 8 uh, verse 10 what a and what a miraculous declaration we have here of the, of the sovereign mercy of God almighty to his elect in in a world that that really neither believes in him or desires God or the savior and I when I read that I just thought you know he would have just been justified if he would have just incinerated everything <laughs> instead of going through this but we just find that it's just the mercy of God and his grace is is just brought to our attention here over and over and over again and so these unbelievers understood that something derogatory had been spoken against them but instead of it leading them to repentance ironically it just hardened their desire to fulfill the very words of the parable they sought to destroy him. And, and we just read that in the, in the next part of the first part of the next lesson. That that same hour they sought to lay hands on him with the intent of having him killed. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit uh, in, our, in our next lesson. But uh, for today, there's, you know, there, this parable is pretty self-explanatory the the things that are shown to us the certain man uh, the lord god almighty the creator of all uh, a vineyard the a world created by god for man and for god's glory and these husbandmen these ones that were that were charged with the delivering the gospel to the people the religious leaders who 
through all through time had been charged with presenting the gospel uh, from the very beginning. And the fruit of the vineyard uh, are persons, the elect, the sheep, the church, who who were called by this gospel that should have been presented and uh, ones that God foreknew, ones that God uh, predestinated, ones that God had selected in eternity. And then uh, he says, God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And, and, and we go through Romans and he says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And, and, and that's really what these religious leaders were should have been doing, but they had just converted everything into works, into keeping the law, into uh, works for salvation. And and <clears throat> the servants here that are spoken of are actually, actually the true messengers of God who continuously through time appeared in every age and declared the true gospel and and called out the husbandmen who in unbelief and rejection opposed the very gospel they should have presented. Boy, we just see this as Norm's been going through the Old Testament and, and in Isaiah and all, Jeremiah and all the... He, he just, they just come at these times, these servants of the Lord, these prophets, and they say, you guys are not telling the truth of the gospel. And You know, you're saying everywhere peace, peace, but there is no peace, and, and you're telling the the people lies and and attaching the name of God to it and 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 Jesus chastised them from that all the time and <clears throat> so my beloved son here is represents the very son of God who is no less described and declared and the whole as Hawker says the whole parable is so plain as not to need much external commentary <laughs> seeing that the actual recorded events of time are completely summarized in this parable. Everything that he says in this parable has actually been recorded in the Old Testament and is transpiring and taking place right before their very eyes. And so some things that we should note here in this lesson for the church that uh, as we look at this parable is the completely deadly effects of the fall on the nature of man. And and then the long-suffering patience of God the Father as he waits for the earlier, early in the latter rain, the earlier in the latter fruit, <clears throat> the, the eternal nature of the unchanging love for the elect in the face of opposition and rejection. Uh, and we're all, you know, we're all caught up in that because we're born with this nature and and until the new birth were just at enmity against him and uh, another thing the almighty power which is required in every person to overcome sin death and hell and and the utter reliability of his word as he promised in every generation to bring to himself elect from every kindred nation and people and so what a what a condensed version of the entire scriptures in this parable uh, in the vineyard planted by God through the son and brought to life by the spirit uh, we find that recorded for us in Genesis and uh, <clears throat> the first uh, words recorded by Moses who he says Moses wrote of me and uh, Genesis 1 
1, God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. What a picture of the gospel in the very first paragraph of, of Genesis. And God said, let there be light, and there, and there was light. And then we find in John 1 how Jesus is that, that light, that true light. And it, then we go on to Genesis 2, uh, verse 7 and 8. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And, you know, Colossians says that for by him, in Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things created that are in the heaven, that are in earth, that are visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So we have to keep that in mind as we we look at this parable and, and realize that God is the controller of everything that happens in this world. There's nothing by accident. There's nothing that goes, that occurs that's, that's uh, not according to his will and purpose. And even these ones that we're reading about here that, that we would never do that, but yet they were in their minds and in their hearts, they were already doing it. And they just hadn't had the, the time or the opportunity yet that was that was correct yet uh, it was not yet his time had not yet come but it was getting close it was within a few days <clears throat> and you know in in genesis we read about that creation and man uh, man being formed out of the dust by the lord he created him and <clears throat> he had a originally he had a perfect environment and then the fall and and in time as we can as we conceive it the fall occurred in in eternity though god had declared the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world so this was no accident there was, was nothing that caught him by surprise it was nothing for which he was not already uh taking care of for his people and you know you have to look at the scriptures and say that he had a this people that he knew in eternity. Uh, Isaiah, behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me uh, are for signs and wonders. So we knew that, that he had a people, and, and in John 17 says, uh, Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me to redeem. And and, and so we see that, that all this is in his scope and in his purpose and his his, we read the scripture in, in Acts where it says everything was happening according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And those two things are linked together. They're, they're, they're the same. His foreknowledge and his determinate counsel. They're not, well, uh, I foresaw that. So they're, it, he foresaw it because he determined it. And he determined it, and, there, he, and he, therefore he knew it. <laughs> uh, so the two things are inextricably linked together and, and can't really be separated. <clears throat> and, you know, in time, 
in the purposes of God, we've always had the husbandmen that are represented here as those ones that should have been declaring the gospel and yet didn't, and were always violently and vehemently opposed to God. And and we find that in Cain and Abel. And uh, to Cain, the gospel was preached as well as it was to Abel, yet the, the gospel preached didn't uh, profit him, not being mixed with faith in, in Cain, just the same as we read in uh, about those folks coming out of the the wilderness in out of Egypt, <clears throat> and uh, that's that has to occur in every age. It has to occur with all the Lord's people. It has to occur uh, as we find here from the very beginning. Uh, Cain brought his own works and couldn't understand why that didn't work. He didn't understand why that didn't satisfy God, and his brother said. Here's a lamb that represents the lamb slain in our stead from before the foundation of the world. And and his brother just got angry and and, and killed him. <laughs> and boy, you know, that's still going on today. You know, they may not kill you physically, but they, if they could figure out a way to do it, they would. <laughs> and it's uh, when you try to try to tell someone about... Uh, the folly of free willism and and all that Arminian stuff, and explain to them sovereign grace, and it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy and grace that He saves us <coughs> through the gospel preaching of the gospel. They just they just get angry, and you try to say, well, have, by the way, have you read Ephesians or Romans or anything in the Old Testament? <laughs> have you actually read the Bible? When, but they read it. They just they're just words on pages to them, and they just take out of it what they want, the the things that they can do to justify their own their own behavior. And so, in time, there's always been the servants, the the Abels who present the gospel, and the Cains who the husbandmen who who don't and are against it and. Uh, <clears throat> Cain rejected it in favor of his own works and killed the servant, just as we find in this parable here. And, and so it goes through time to this present day. By God's mercy in every age, there's there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And and the, the duty of the remnant is to proclaim the gospel of grace that uh, saved them and not leave anything out, not add anything. And... and uh, but it it always meets with opposition. There's always a division because of that. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, we'll read uh, verse 27 through 31. Matthew chapter 23 says he's describing and talking about these same fellows that he's dealing with here in Luke. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees! You're hypocrites. You're just actors. Is what that word hypocrites means. You're just play actors. For you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward. They had all the religious trappings that made them appear religious, and and uh, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. <clears throat> and even so, ye ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you build 
the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, and, and uh, this, this next sentence here, Norm brings this up all the time. People always say, well, you know, if I'd have been born back in those days, I wouldn't have done that. I, but he says, they say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. We would not have killed them. <laughs> and you know what? Their attitude then would have been the same as it is now. And if a Isaiah or a Jeremiah or a Ezekiel or a any of those that came and said, you are telling a big lie on God, they would have said, oh yeah, and they would have killed them. <laughs> they just would have. It's just the nature uh, that they were born with. And So he says, wherefore be or ye be witnesses unto yourselves. You're your own witness that you are the children of them that killed the prophets. And that's just what he's saying here in this parable in Luke chapter 20. He says, I'll send my son and maybe you'll reverence him. And nope, we'll cast him out of the vineyard. Uh, how pictorial are the scriptures? Take him outside the camp and kill him. <laughs> and that's what they that's what they did. And uh, they said, no, he's... We would, God forbid, we would never do that. And they were all the time planning to do that very, that very thing. So what a, what a testimony. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stone them that are sent unto thee. That's from back when we were in Luke chapter 13, quite some time back. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather or a brood under her wings? And you would not. You just, you know, apart from the grace of God, you you just would not. You cannot. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they're spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them. He can't even know them. And in, we always mention John 3, 3. Unless a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. It can be right there. Jesus could be right in their face, and they, they didn't know him. What a testimony to sovereign mercy and almighty long-suffering here and the eternal purposes of God in this parable. All these things, I sent you people, I sent you servants, I sent you servants, I sent you servants that told about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and you sent them away empty. Where, where was the fruit that should have been produced from that? Well, we know that there can be no fruit unless the Spirit breathes into them. The breath of life takes the gospel and makes it effectual in them. But these men should have been, they should have been declaring that gospel. And that should have been their duty. And yet, when the, the expected fruit should have been there, it, it wasn't because they weren't saying anything that could be used in an effectual way by the Spirit. It was just... Uh, keep the law uh, do, don't do this don't do that <clears throat> and in Romans uh, this is brought out very clearly in Romans uh, chapter 9 if you turn to Romans 9 and uh, verse 22 through 24 we'll just <laughs> sound like Norm has that in his notes today too but uh, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much suffering 
the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. He put up with a lot of stuff from the time of of Adam to today. He's still putting up with a lot of stuff, being long-suffering, enduring these these ones that were fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. There's another what we used to call the classified document verse. <laughs> afore prepared unto glory. When did, when did that happen? What does he mean by afore? Well, that's in eternity. Uh, and you, we can read on that in Ephesians here in a minute. But uh, that <clears throat> even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So he put up with a lot of abuse in time and and used that even against their uh, their their purposes that they had uh, to to bring his people and gather them together in Christ. Uh, uh, we had that a good example uh, in the Old Testament where Joseph was thrown in the pit and they said, well, let's kill him. Dad, Dad always liked him best. <laughs> let's kill him and he's the, we'll get his stuff and divvy it up. And one of the guys said, well, you know what? There's money to be made here. <laughs> we could... We could sell him as a slave and we'll kill two birds with one stone. We'll be rid of him and we'll have a little, a few shekels in our pocket to boot. And so that's what they did. And of course, you you know how that story went. And, and what did he say at the end when he revealed himself? He says, you meant this for evil, but God worked it for good to save much people alive. What a picture of the gospel there. Uh, the, the very, their very evil intentions God permitted and, and used to even save them when they would have died from starvation. And so that's what it tells us in Romans 9, 22 through 24. He, he put up with and endured with much long suffering these ones, these vessels of wrath fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy fitted and prepared for glory <laughs> predestined uh, as we might say so these verses just in Romans just tell us so much of God's grace to the church willingly enduring the wretchedness of the effects of sin that in time his purposes would be complete in in the fullness of time, he's going to gather all things together in Christ. In, and so enduring and even using those who were opposed to him and who would never turn to accomplish grace through the gospel of the death of his son in the stead of the, of the church, instead of the people of God, instead of the sheep, <clears throat> the elect. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It begins in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I think we have enough time. We'll just read that because it's just difficult to take uh, a little taste of that. 
it's so rich and full about the church. But there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as a result of him having chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. It, it just tells us so much about God that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And then it goes on and says a bunch more classified stuff there. From You can read that. <laughs> secret stuff, we'd say. That's a secret stuff. That's the, the pastor used to tell me, this is not for you. This is high stuff. It, well, it's there. It seems pretty plain to me. <laughs> so, we have this thing that tells us how wonderful the grace of God in to the church and how much enduring of sin he puts up with to effect his purpose of grace in the those who he gave Christ to redeem from the covenant of grace from before the foundation of the world. And <clears throat> so in every generation de described in our text there in, in Luke and in Romans, we have two elements. It always comes down to that, doesn't it? It always comes down to two elements. You have those vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and vessels of mercy who he had afore prepared unto glory and the vessels of mercy are called in each age a remnant according to the election of grace as Paul wrote and, and it does apply in every age you know Elijah wrote that in 1 Kings 19.10 he wrote that in 840 B.C. <laughs> And Paul's quoting it here in A.D. 57 when he wrote that to the Romans. So there's about 900 years of time that has elapsed, gone by, and the same things are still valid then as they were in Paul's age and as they are in our time, in our age. Uh, <clears throat> In Romans 11:2, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what, he, what the scriptures say of Elias, or how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed thy prophets, killed those servants, and sent them away empty. And they dig down thine altars, and I'm left alone, and they seek my life. He, he felt pretty lonesome, you know. He, they were trying to kill him, and he was hiding out. But what saith the answer of God unto him? 
I have reserved to myself 7,000 men that you don't know about. <laughs> They're known to me. All of God's works are known unto him <laughs> from the beginning. I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time also, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. 900 years after Elijah said the very same same thing. And, and of course, they were trying to kill Paul all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was stoned and, and beaten and left for dead and thrown in prison and all those things that he said were just turned out to be for the furtherance of the gospel. And, but, you know, back when we were in Luke chapter 11, there are some telling words that describe the activities of these ones that are here called the husbandmen. He says, Woe unto you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. And you entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in you hindered. Boy, we don't want to be guilty of that. We, you know, it's our duty to declare the gospel, and in truth, and and that's what Paul said. I've not, I'm free from the blood of all men. I've not shunned to declare unto you the, all the gospel concerning God. And he's, I didn't, I'm not buttering it up. I'm not, I'm not leaving anything out. I'm not changing it, giving it to you straight giving you what I got <clears throat> but the ones that are saying well it's up to you you can you can come or you can not it's just a it's just a choice that you make <clears throat> and he says that in every year the stone which the builders rejected that should have been their their foundation stone, their solid stone, they rejected it and they they substituted a, a block of sandstone comprised of works, kind of an allegory of what we're talking about here, that crumbly, I don't know if you're familiar with sandstone, but it's just, it's crumbly. It's not very good. And uh, their solid stone, they rejected and they substituted a block of Sandstone comprised of works that crumbled from its very inception. It was just rotten from the minute they they laid it down. And it couldn't support anything. And it never can, and it never will, and it never does. And they always have problems with that. Well, the reason you, today, you, yesterday you thought you were saved, but today, because you, your behavior was deplorable, <laughs> now you think you're not <laughs> because it all depends on you what you do or what you don't do and not what Christ has done uh, he says oh wretched man that I am I'm the chiefest I am the worst sinner is what Paul said and that that fellow that prayed that prayer Lord apply the atonement to me the sinner <laughs> the sinner so these guys that that change the gospel and substitute this crumbly foundation of works which couldn't ever bear any weight and then they add more stuff on top of that 
they start off bad, then they start adding all this stuff that you got to do or can't do or don't do, and and uh, and you know that's uh, Ezekiel wrote about that, and he called it. Uh, they've daubed it with untempered mortar. <laughs> Didn't have enough cement in it to make it stick together, and it was crumbly. Uh, and it, the Lord says, whoever falls on this stone, this solid stone. It's going to break them. And whosoever this stone falls on, it's going to grind them to powder. And these rejectors, when they fall on the stone of Christ, they're broken. They can't stand, yet the spirit of unbelief in them is so pervasive that they, the more they hear the truth, the angrier they get. Because it shows them that what they've been doing is, is, is worthless. And they just get real angry on this. What do you mean? I worked hard for these vegetables. I planted them. I weeded them. I watered them. I thinned them and I pruned them. Here's the results of all my work, all the stuff that I did. And God says, that's, uh, he had not respect for that, all that work that he did on his own. <laughs> Ezekiel wrote, they laid a foundation with faulty material. Then they built on that crumbling foundation a wall which can never stand no matter what they do to try and make it seem true. It just doesn't hold up. In Ezekiel 13.10 it says, Because even because they've seduced my people, seduced them, saying, Peace, if you do these things and you'll have peace with God. And one built up a wall, and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. And then he skipped down to Ezekiel 13, 14. He says, So will I break down the wall that you've daubed with untempered mortar, and bring it down to the ground, so the foundation thereof shall be discovered, and it shall fail, it shall fall, and you shall be consumed in the midst thereof, and you shall know that I am the Lord. <coughs> Sometime they're going to know that their efforts, their work was was not. And, uh, you know, around here, there's a lot of cement in some old buildings around this town that they didn't put enough cement in the mixture. It's mostly sand and, and aggregate and stuff. And uh, Norm and I worked on a couple of them, and you couldn't hardly hook anything onto it. You couldn't... Uh, it was rotten clear down. We worked on a building up in Dufer one time, and they said, we want this place fixed, but the foundation is a little scuzzy. And we said, well, we'll, we'll try to cut through this part that's uh, deteriorated in the cement and get down to some good material. Then we can build on that. But the more we cut, the more rotten it got. <laughs> Turned out it was rotten all the way down to the earth. You could never build anything on it. It was just no good. And, and there's lots of that around where they just didn't. They said, "Well, we can save, we can save uh, five dollars a ton by just skimping on the cement that we throw in the. Instead of having a five bag mix, we'll have a three bag mix, and and I won't be around when that goes bad. <laughs> and it's the same thing in in religion. Uh, so telling this parable that the unbelievers." cast the son out of the vineyard and kill him 
cast out Christ, think they're doing good. And their true motive was revealed in verse 14, so that the inheritance might be ours. We want the credit for that. We ran into that here. A fellow wrote us because we were getting too much coverage on Sermon Audio, and they said, you're taking away our kudos. You're getting too much. People are listening to you and not to us. Therefore, we're not getting our kudos. (laughs) We want the reward. We want the inheritance. And it it was awful. So they want the credit. They want the reward. The same rejected stone is to those who the Lord has redeemed, the the precious stone, the foundation stone, the solid stone, the, the foundation of all of our faith and and Paul quotes that in Romans 9.33, as is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We, we sing that hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. That's from, a, from Luke 6 and Matthew 7 about the building on the sand or the rock, and foolish man built his house on the sand and and this pastor from England wrote that in in uh, 1834 Baptist pastor in Sussex West Sussex England at the Rehoboam Baptist Church <clears throat> wrote that hymn his name was Edward Mote on Christ the solid rock I stand the foundation that will never fail the basis for all of our Gospels. So by grace, believe, and the solid stone will be your precious stone, your sure foundation. So until next time, uh, thank you for your attention, and be free. Parable of Grace.